Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. This is Tom Salemi, your host. We are uh, two weeks removed from uh, OIS at AAO. Uh, last week, we took a break to just sort of walk through the uh, the entire conference. I hope you enjoyed that recap. Today, we're starting or restarting our Tales of Innovation, and I'm very happy to be visited by Ellie De Los Pinos, who is the founding CEO of Oro Biosciences. Uh, Ellie presented a couple of weeks ago at OIS for the first time, presented Aura's story, and it's really it's a neat story. Uh, Ellie herself, uh, she uh, had a comfortable job at uh, Eli Lilly's Oncology Business Unit, and she worked on uh, the market launch of Elimta, uh, the cancer, the lung cancer drug treatment. But she uh, she took the leap. She wanted to do something important in her eyes, and she and she left corporate comfort to build Aura Biosciences from the ground up. And uh, Aura uses a sort of viral-like synthetic nanoparticle to deliver drugs. In this case, they've created a, a compound, AUO11, that can deliver cancer-fighting drugs to the eye. It hits the, hits the spot in the eye, hits the ocular melanoma, activated by a laser, and it's really able to treat currently untreatable uh, uh, eye cancers, or at least treat, able to avoid uh, some really uh, horrible treatments that uh, we'll get into in the conversation. But uh, or is one of those those great stories in ophthalmology that we like to track. And, and it's it's gotten some notoriety. Uh, a couple of years ago, in 2011, it was actually uh, received the uh, Pioneer Award from the World Economic Forum. And uh, Ellie and Aura were feted as, as uh, rock stars at Davos. So uh, it's, it's one of these stories with a, a great deal of buzz behind it. Very happy to be telling it here on the OIS podcast and uh, tune in uh, for uh, Aura's presentation on OIS.net. We'll have that up shortly as well as my uh, interview that I did with uh, Ellie in the lobby at OIS. So we hope you enjoy this visit with uh, Ellie De Los Pinos from Aura Biosciences. Hi, Ellie. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for, for joining us. Uh, you know, you and I have actually something in common. Uh, I also am a winner of a World Economic Forum Technology Pioneer Award. I don't think I mentioned that uh, when we talked earlier, but uh, actually, I'm just joking. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> I, you did not mention it. <laughs> I know. I think I was a runner-up, or maybe I came in third. I got a participation medal, but I don't think I got the actual award. But you did in, uh, in 2011, correct? Yes, that's correct. Now, when did you start Aura? What, what's the origin of the company? Uh, Aura started in um, uh, late 2009, and um, it was basically because I wanted to start a company and develop a new class of drugs for cancer. And that had been, in my mind, probably for a lot of years, as usually entrepreneurs have something and they persevere. And I, I identified a technology that I thought um, would be the base for that idea. And it was a technology that had been discovered by John Schiller at the National Cancer Institute. And I partnered with John, and um, we licensed the technology and started the company in Boston. And it was a phenomenal partnership. Sometimes the academic partnerships are not uh, good. But in this case, he, John Schiller had already... 
uh, developed the vaccine for the human papilloma virus, he knew very well what drug development was about. And it was a great alliance uh, with his lab, and he put all his um, team to work and help us develop this new class of drugs. So what was your situation at the time? You were, you were in pharma, right? You, were, you had a stable job at a company, and you, and you did what a lot of entrepreneurs do. You, you sort of find, take that leap of faith. What was your current situation, uh, and what was it about this particular opportunity that, that, that told you now was the time to try? Yes, I, um, I had worked at Eli Lilly, um, the pharmaceutical company in the oncology business unit. And I, I had been very lucky, actually. I had a, a phenomenal job, and uh, we were launching a, a, a drug for lung cancer in Europe. And I had all the exposure of what is a commercial launch. But I have always been an entrepreneur, and I always wanted to do more innovation rather than be at the end stage of just launching a compound, but rather developing a new class of drugs. And I think that you're just born entrepreneur. So yes, I did took the take the leap of faith, and uh, and I did start a company with a very little capital, and uh, a lot of um, passion. And I think that that's what it takes. You know, if you persevere and you have an idea and you really commit to it, then um, you end up finding the capital, the team, and um, things come along really nicely. What was it about this technology that you saw so that you thought was so promising? Can you maybe describe well, the technology I and guess, what your approach is? Yes, absolutely. Yes. So this is a novel class of therapies, and we usually talk about targeted therapies, and uh, those are therapies that act on individual cell signaling pathways. And for some cancers, that has worked really well. But what I thought is, if we have the possibility to approach cancer and then deliver things extremely toxic. So not try to impair a molecular path, but really try to identify something differential on the surface of the cell that can then obliterate or ablate that cell very effectively. That would be a much better way to approach cancer. Of course, the universal targeting like this did not exist. But what John Schiller had identified was a virus that had this universal targeting property. And there had been some background at that moment. Obviously, the oncolytic virus had not been approved yet. But there was uh, the idea that instead of using a virus, we could use a viral shell or a viral-like particle that would retain this property of universal targeting and would allow us to deliver drugs really efficiently. And so that was the basis. The fact that he had identified this, this way to target tumors in such a different way with a very simple protein that could be applied broadly um, I thought would be extremely differential of any other thing that was being developed for cancer research that would ultimately impact the clinic in 10 years from that moment. So that was the idea, and um, and it has worked really nicely. At the beginning, obviously, you build on the data, and when you start working with an academic, you basically validate that data to make sure that it's robust, and you do it in different labs. And it was very robust. It was a very nice way to uniquely target tumors, and that allowed us to say, well, if it's so universal, we could go from very common tumors like lung cancer, breast cancer, and we had all the data about that, but we could also go to very rare tumors where no one had really ever approached any type of therapy, 
And by doing so, we would not only create a lot of value for patients, but we would also validate the technology in a unique way, probably much um, cost-efficiently that we would do it in a bigger indication. So that's, that's the basis for how a technology that's so broad and a platform that can go in so many directions ultimately is um, focused on a very specific and rare cancer indication. Was cancer always your focus, your, your, your primary passion? We're the only company, as far as we know, that is working on ocular oncology. So we are trying to treat ocular cancers, and in particular, ocular melanoma. That's our first indication. And was, it always, was cancer always the, the, the disease you most wanted to go after? Yes, absolutely. That was, uh, these technologies uniquely um, suited for cancer uh, targeting. And doing so in a rare cancer where no one has ever developed any drug before and patients have no treatment options is an incredible value for our team, for patients, for the, the entire community. So that's our driver. Give us a little detail t- today. Where, where, is it, where is that therapeutic at uh, in, in development? It is probably the most exciting moment in drug development because we are very, very close to starting our phase uh, one, two clinical trial. We're going to um, start the trial uh, in early Q1 2016. We're just about to file an IND by the end of the year. And we have 10 sites qualified to, to start and, and enroll patients. So we will be a clinical stage company very, very soon. And that's certainly a, a great step for all of us. Going to take a quick break from the conversation just to remind you, as I suggested earlier, we're going to have all of our content from OIS up on OIS.net. Uh, the best way to find out what's coming, when it's coming up, is to sign up for our Eye on Innovation newsletter. If you have not done that yet, just go to OIS.net, share your email with us, and we'll make sure you're not only informed about the content coming up from the conference, You'll receive these podcasts. You'll receive our our selected videos uh, from the conference itself, from the hallways of OIS, and any other unique concept content that will come up with in the ophthalmology space. So go to ois.net to sign up for our Eye on Innovation newsletter. Now back to our conversation with Ellie de los Pinos of Oro Biosciences. How is AUO11 administered, and and how does it work? What does it deliver? AU011 is administered by intravitreal injection. And that's uh, something that we're very grateful that now in the ophthalmology field is something that's so well accepted. Uh, intravitreal injections allow us to um, bring this drug to where the tumors are located. The drug distributes really well and gets through the tumor. And the viral particle binds the tumor selectively. So it doesn't bind the retina, it doesn't bind the sclera, it doesn't bind the ciliary body or anything else but the tumor. And then this viral particle is carrying um, a huge amount of a drug that's a prodrug. So it's activated by laser. So once you administer the drug, four hours later, in a period from four to six hours later, you can administer an ophthalmic laser 
shine the light on top of the tumor and that selectively activates the cytotoxic drug, which completely kills the tumor cell selectively. And it's a very, very um, effective uh, 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 drug because the IC50s that we have are in the picomolar range. So we have, as I usually say, it, it's probably the most elegant way of targeting. And in the eye, you have to do so because you want to spare the retina and you want to kill the tumor selectively. So by uh, the two layers of targeting, one is by the viral particle binding the tumor selectively, and the other one is by just activating the drug at the moment that you want it and in the location that you want it, you have this beautiful way of eliminating what we call nearly molecular surgery. Because what usually we are, what happens in ocular melanoma is that we have tumors in a very small cavity and very tiny tumors. We diagnose these tumors when they're probably one or two millimeters. Can you imagine if you were able to do that in lung cancer wow. or breast cancer? Mm -hmm. Well, in the inocular melanoma, we can do that. Skin melanoma, all of these lesions are so small, they have a 90.9% .9 survival rate. Of course, if you have a mole in the skin, you're going to go to the dermatologist and remove it. In the eye, we cannot do that. We cannot do surgeries in the eye as we do on the skin. And radioactivity leaves you blind. So there you, are, you have this, this incredible opportunity to have a tumor that has not yet spread, that's very local, it's very small, and yet you don't have any tool to remove it from the eye. So that's where we come on board, where the early intervention for this disease can radically shape the outcome. And, uh, and the future life of these patients, because we're not at the moment where we're just going to be improving one month's survival. We're going to be impacting their entire life where they can get rid of their tumor and preserve vision and have a normal life. So it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful opportunity. I don't think that as an entrepreneur, we have this kind of opportunities often, where you're presented with a disease that has been so poorly treated, and suddenly you have a unique molecular tool to approach it so well. So it's it's very, very exciting, and I think the impact for patients and what we've seen both from patients, their communities, the KOLs that take care of them, and the FDA, is that everyone is absolutely aligned um, to treat this disease early, which makes it very, very exciting. What are the uh, the current treatments? There are some available. Uh, they don't sound very pleasant. Uh, what can be done today? Unfortunately, there are treatments, and uh, uh, the surgery, as you would imagine, is enucleation, which means it's the removal of the eye. Um, for years, this was the only option for these patients. Um, obviously, no one wants to lose the eye, especially if you're a 45-year-old normal person and you have a small mole and the option is, well, we're just going to, you know, take the eye out. The next step um, for patients or the next uh, um, treatment option is radioactivity. Radioactivity in any other cancer, you would not um, worry so much, but in the eye, radioactivity leaves you blind. And not only this, the radioactivity that you would imagine is so easy to do, you want to focus the beam only or the radioactivity energy only to the tumor. So in order to do that, patients have to go to two surgeries. Because these tumors are in the back of the eye, the eye has to be removed. 
And so what they do is what's called plaque brachytherapy, which is a metal plaque that they fill it in with iodine seeds. It's radioactive iodine. They attach it to the back of the eye. They insert the eye back. For seven days, you have that plaque irradiating your tumor in the eye and plus all of the other eye. And then another surgery to remove the plaque. Can you imagine the the yeah, comorbidities that a treatment like that has for the patients? Of course, it achieves what's called tumor control, so the tumor stops growing, but it doesn't prevent metasta- metastasis, and it doesn't. And the problem is that then you have retinopathy, cataracts, uh, glaucoma, dry eye. It is a really a horrible treatment with so many comorbidities that patients just are reluctant to go through it if the tumor is not really growing. And it's a kind of a, a, one of these things that puts the, uh, the clinician at stake because they identify a tumor very early. Um, sometimes they call them small melanocytic lesions. And if the tumor is not yet fully transformed or growing, they... Patients and clinicians don't want to offer these very harsh treatments. So there is a pool of patients in the very early stage that are just without any treatment option. In the wait-and-see situation, where if you are unlucky, the tumor is going to grow and you're going to be treated with this radioactivity therapy, and uh, otherwise it's just waiting. And, uh, and if it metastasizes, it's a killer. So ocular melanoma, the problem that it has is that once it gets out of the eye, it usually goes to the liver, and that has a terrible outcome. It is less than nine-month survival. And uh, so these, these patients are in this kind of like um, situation where it's a, do I choose to be blind or do I choose to um, wait, and maybe if I wait longer, I'll have metastasis, and in, you know, three years I'll die. So... It, it it is really it's really sad. I I think that um, what we have in our hands is the opportunity to have patients so early because we most of I would say not most all of the patients that uh, are diagnosed with ocular melanoma they are not metastatic. It's when their tumor is tiny and in the eye. So that's where we should be treating them as early as possible, as we do in skin cancer. And our hope, of course, we cannot say that we're going to cure it. I, I think that in a few years, we can say that we are the first company that's ever developed a cure um, and not a, a therapy. But, um, but if you treat early in cancer therapy, in any cancer, the outcomes of survival are just great. Um, and so we have the opportunity. We should be able to do it. And you know, we'll we'll see next year. It's very exciting. And what is the the population like? I know you're you've uh, recently attended. I think just this week or last week, there, there's a patient retreat at the Cle- Cleveland Clinic, the I Am Not Alone uh, retreat. I think you had kicked that off. Actually, is it a, is it a how, how large of a patient population is it, and uh, uh, how active are they in pursuing new treatments? Because they obviously need be- some better options. Yes. So it's a, it's a really great community of patients and they help each other very much. Um, I did participate at the OMF retreat and, uh, and talk to the patients. Um, with any rare disease, the numbers are um, always difficult. What we know is that uh, approximately we would say uh, there are around 10,000 patients globally. 
Um, perhaps if we look at the number of patients that are treated in the early stage disease, this number, or they are not treated yet, this number may be bigger. Uh, conservatively, uh, we think that it's about 10,000 um, uh, uh, worldwide. Hmm. Fascinating. And is this your, is AUO11 your, your lead compound? And it, it, whether it is or not, what other cancers are you looking at? AGO11 is certainly our lead compound, and it can uh, treat not only ocular melanoma, but all other ocular cancers. And that's where we feel excited because once, you know, we have the safety data, uh, we can definitely um, start treating all of these other rare cancers in the eye that have very poor treatment options and become really the, uh, the flagship for ocular oncology. Uh, of course, I've told you that this is a universal targeting, in, and the NCI and us have developed a lot of data to demonstrate efficacy in many other cancers, especially solid tumors. Um, we are very excited with the data in head and neck cancer and in bladder cancer. Those are two cancers that are also very local and have terrible um, treatment options where a treatment like this could make a, a uh, a beautiful impact. So certainly those are uh, systemic indications outside of the eye that we will be developing. And how much capital have you raised so far? I think my, my research, my er, my very uh, preliminary research said suggested $36 million. $36 million. Is, that, uh, is that accurate? Yes. Yes, that's accurate. Uh, we raised our latest Series B round early in the year, and uh, we have the capital to get through clinical development. Um, and next year, so we're we're very happy. We have a very good group of investors. Uh, Henry Tamir is certainly a key um, uh, investor for us. Also, uh, my mentor uh, to help me build the company. It's hmm. a great name to have assigned to the company. And, and finally, what are your future plans? Do you see yourself partnering with Farmer or raising more capital on your own to pursue this uh, as an independent company? Uh, well. Um, the future is difficult to tell, but uh, at this moment, if the uh, data is uh, positive, uh, we will definitely uh, try to um, raise more capital to um, uh, go after the pivotal trial. The nice thing of this indication and, and why it makes a lot of sense for us is that it, we've already had two pre-IND meetings with the FDA, and we've uh, uh, validated the clinical development strategy where we will have the phase one, two next year, and if that data is, um, is good, we'll directly go into a pivotal trial. And that certainly is a very exciting path to development where it doesn't take um, an enormous amount of capital or resources where we could not do it on our own. And certainly that's uh, something that um, it's currently our plan. Excellent. And, and thank you for your time today and, and for your work. It's a, it's a great story, and we look forward to following it. Thank you so much. I look forward to updating and uh, to provide good news for patients and the entire community. That sounds great. Thanks, Ellie Delos-Pinos. It was great to visit with you. Uh, great to hear Aura's story, uh, both in this podcast and at OIS. Uh, we look forward to hearing more great, uh, great progress from AUO11. Please, uh, again, remember to go to ois.net. We'll be uh, providing you content, videos, presentations, uh, panel discussions, some of the, uh, the data presentations by co-chair and founder Emmett Cunningham, 
and John Norris of Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, they will be up there as well. So OIS.net is the place to go for our latest uh, ophthalmology content. And of course, uh, we hope you tune in next week for another tale of innovation on the OIS podcast. Thanks very much. <laughs>